0: hello well welcome to church online um, my name is pete pastor here at city on a hill and it's a joy to have you connecting with us if this is your first time with us and especially warm welcome to you we hope that you're encouraged by this experience and that, um, that something would happen in your heart that god would touch your life let's pray you can pray with me let's ask that god will speak to us so wherever joining from whether it's your living room your bedroom if you're still in bed Maybe you're out for a walk, maybe you're driving your car, wherever you are, that God will speak to us, God will encourage us, and God will touch our hearts. Father, thank you so much, God, that you love us and you have a really good plan for our lives. God, thank you, wherever we are today, you're with us. And God, thank you, you're for us. Father, thank you that 2,000 years ago, you sent Jesus. Jesus, you came into this world. To give yourself for us, sacrifice yourself on the cross so that we could be saved. And today, we're grateful. Thank you, Jesus. You're, you died, but you rose again, and thank you, you're alive right now. You are our Savior, and we trust in you. I pray for anyone today who doesn't yet have that relationship with God. I ask that you will make yourself incredibly real to them. I pray you'd speak to everyone. As we unpack the Bible, I pray you drop things into our hearts that will help us, that will change our lives. Help me to speak and help us to hear. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I heard someone say, I took my kid to the pet store. He wanted to get a porcupine who had lost all its quills. I said, it seems pointless. (laughs) Okay, that's the best I can come up with. That's my link to porcupines. Okay, there was a German philosopher called Schorbenhauer and Schorbenhauer compared human beings to porcupines huddling together on a cold winter's night Uh, he said the colder it gets outside the more we huddle together for warmth but the closer we get to one another the more we hurt one another because of our sharp quills the truth is we need each other But we also needle each other. (laughs) And the closer we get to each other, we find this pain. So we love the idea of marriage, but there's pain in marriage. We love the idea of friendships, but I don't know any friendship that hasn't had hard times. We love the idea of community or family. But with community, you get human beings. And when you get human beings, we need each other, but we we needle each other. Let me take you to an amazing passage of scripture and this is at the beginning of the church. This is in Acts chapter 2 where we find the most beautiful description of community. The most beautiful description I've heard or read anywhere in all literature, let alone in the Bible. But here we see the the birth of this thing called the church, the ultimate community. This is what it says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 onwards. Those who accepted the message were baptized. So this is the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter has preached to thousands of people who have gathered and and the people are listening to the message and this is what it says, those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3000 were added to the number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold the property and possessions and they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's an amazing description of authentic, real, powerful, loving community. It's the kind of thing when you read you think wow I would want to be part of that and or we would say wow we want our church to be like that. So here's the question I mean just to start with um, what's the root behind the fruit of that community how'd you get that kind of community well the root behind that fruit is found in the first verse we read it says verse 41 those who accepted his message were baptized those who accepted his message were baptized how do you get that kind of community how do you get that kind of fruit well you need the same root as they had and their root was this those who accepted the message okay there is only one thing that can change fundamentally change a human being and it's a message the only one thing that can cause people to literally turn over a new leaf and bring lasting change and not just lasting change in this life but the only thing that can bring change in this life and in eternity is a message and the bible has a name for that message it's called the gospel okay and it's the only message that can change your life it's a message that's changed my life and it is the only message that can change your life and your life does need changed because the the gospel message is very simply this that two thousand years ago god so loved you and me and every other human being who's ever existed that jesus christ came into the world and when jesus came he came for one big purpose and his purpose was to give himself for you and for me on a cross he died for us on the cross and he in doing so he paid the price for our sin and we are sinners he paid the price for all our sin that sin that so- stopped us having relationship with God that sin that caused us to have a barrier with God that sin that caused us to be spiritually dead Jesus paid the price for it on the cross and he rose again on the third day and that's the message and the, and the message is this it, as it says in the verses, those who accepted the message, that's how transformation happened. If you accept the message of Jesus, if you say yes to that, say, I believe you, Jesus. I believe you died for me and rose again. Forgive me for all my sins. I give my life to you. I trust you. I turn from my sins. I've got to follow you. have got to get baptized. Those who accept the message, it says, were baptized. And what baptism means is it means they really meant it. It means it's like drawing a line in the sand. Okay, I'm going public with this. I'm burying my old life. I'm saying yes to the new life. That's how you get that kind of community. That kind of fruit comes from that kind of root. That message about Jesus' death and resurrection and a wholehearted response to that message is what changes you fundamentally. And I know some of you are watching this just now or listening to this on the podcast and saying, I want that change. Well, the good news is God hasn't changed. He can make that happen for you right now. Right in your living room or wherever you're listening, God can make it happen for you. At the end of this message, I'll give you an opportunity to respond. So they responded, they trusted Jesus, and it's that change that brought about that awesome community. They all had this experience, and now they were all in this community together, and that's what churches. And as you go through the Book of Acts, this is Acts chapter two. But as you go through the the various chapters of the Book of Acts, you see communities like this one described here. Been springing up all over the place. You see it springing up in uh, uh, Samaria, in Antioch, in Thyatira, in um, Thessalonica, in Corinth, in Ephesus, all the way to Rome. We see these churches and these communities springing up where people were just living for Jesus, radically changed, loving each other, being generous. Miracles were happening. It was the real deal. And it's, you just look on and think, wow, that is utopia. That is heaven on earth. That's awesome. That's an amazing community. And uh, we, we look on and we see that and we think we long for that. But. <laughs> uh, and on my notes, I've written a, a big B-U-T. But. Say but. Okay. B-U-T. Uh, and there is a but. And you find it. If you, if you flip a few pages on in Acts. Now you find yourself in Acts chapter 6. And this is what it says. But. <laughs> but as... The believers rapidly multiplied. There were rumblings of discontent. Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that the widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So all of a sudden, into this perfect community, there's a but. There was a disruption. There was discontent. There was sin. There was prejudice going on. And we see this. And we see this in Acts chapter 6, where there was this tension emerge, And it was, a, it was a racial tension, quite frankly, within the church. Uh, and then as you go on a few chapters later, Acts chapter 15, you see there was theological tension emerging. And later on in Acts 15, you see there was personality differences where Paul and Barnabas went in two separate directions. It wasn't like one was right, one was wrong. It was just that they were human beings and they had different convictions. And so all of a sudden, into this perfect community, you see this humanness coming in whereby the perfect community wasn't actually perfect. (laughs) In fact, maybe there is no such thing as a perfect community. There's a perfect God and he does a perfect work in our lives. But we're still human beings, right? Um, Sam said to his friend, John, you get along so well with everybody. How do you do it? John answered, it's easy. I never disagree with anyone, no matter what. And Sam said to him, he didn't didn't believe John and said, that's impossible. I don't believe that. John replied, you're absolutely right. He just agreed with everyone. Well, I I think it's true. You cannot get along with everyone all the time. Even the best among us don't get along well with everyone all the time. There is no such thing as a perfect church. We need each other. We really do. But we needle each other as well. And that's a challenge. And one of the things I do is I love working with other churches around the world. One of the churches we planted from Edinburgh a number of years ago, and I continue to work with them, is in Hong Kong. James and Jess Trower lead that church, and I have regular interactions with James Trower. James, uh, he, he shared something with me that actually. The reason I'm sharing this message with you today came from the conversation I had with James in May. And this is what James, this is the message James sent to me on WhatsApp. He said, "Uh, Pete, I've got a question. Have I ever, Pete, have you ever seen people coming together to a place where they really do live as church? As one body, totally united, really loving each other, pouring themselves out for each other, not on occasions, but consistently? And he went on to say, I ask that because we've had a number of situations in the church at the moment where people have got friction with each other. And he says, it's because we're in smaller groups as a church. These kind of pastoral issues become more evident. You see, in a big church, James says, people can hide. They can avoid people they don't like. But whereas here in Hong Kong, when we put people into small groups, uh, they just make up excuses and stop going. Because they can't get along with each other, and uh, it's, it's, actually the church in Hong Kong is a beautiful church. They they have house churches. They have lots of house churches around Hong Kong, and then once a month they come together for a big worship service. That's how they do church over there. <clears throat> but, but James is saying because we're in house groups, because everyone's in close proximity, because you know in a big church you can disappear, you can avoid people you don't like, but when you're in house churches, you kind of all put together. And he asked Pete, have you ever seen an example anywhere? your journeys of a church that kind of has got it right? And you know the answer is no. Even the ultimate church in the book of Acts is only a few chapters later when there's a but. And because when you've got human beings you have friction. In fact let me put it this way. The closer you are to the New Testament model of church the more friction you're going to experience. Why? because the more you are like the early church where you actually try and do community, when you actually try and go deeper, when you actually try and love each other like the Bible says you should love each other, the more you've got that, the more conflict and friction you will have because you're closer. And I would rather having a closer church with more friction rather than having a a crowd that you turn up to an event and you don't really know each other. And there's no friction. there's also no depth and you can't have depth without friction and if you don't have depth you don't have true transformation in your life and in the city so that's the price we pay for having true community so james asked me that question and i went back and said the answer is the more you have discipleship the more you are like the new testament church the more gritty the community will be they will be upset people will fall out with each other and if you don't believe me read Paul's letters to the churches he was constantly dealing with disunity and sin and issues that were going on in the perfect churches there is no such thing as a perfect church there is a perfect God and there's imperfect people and he puts us together and he tells us just love each other and that will sometimes be through gritted teeth (laughs) say amen hey I hope to encourage you in this message but I just want us to have one big reality check at the start of this message You know, in fact, let me put it this way. I think sometimes in church, there can be even more tension in church than there can even be in groups you associate with outside of the church. So let me give you an example. Imagine you met a very overweight person, really overweight. And when you got talking to them, they were boasting about this amazing diet they're on. They're talking about they're showing you the book and they're talking about all that they're they're not eating and how they're getting through the, their new lifestyle. But in your head you're thinking, I think that's rubbish because you're looking at the person you're thinking you're really really big, you're really heavy, you're really overweight. So you're in your head you're thinking, I think your diet's rubbish. You don't say it out loud but you think it. But the problem you've got is you didn't see that person six months ago. If you'd seen that person six months ago, I know they're heavy just now, but they were four stone heavier six months ago. And here's the point. Church, the message of Jesus attracts people who haven't got it all together. Actually, the very message itself invites imperfect people to come together. If you think you've got it sorted, if you're self-sufficient and got it all together, the message of Jesus will make no sense to you. The idea that someone needed to die to save you will be nonsensical because, hey, I don't need saved. That's why the church is actually full of needy and broken people. The apostle Paul acknowledges this as well. He says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, he said, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were before you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. And so Paul's saying, you're not exactly the cream of the crop. <laughs> you're a motley crew and i'm talking to you folks as well but here's the point you go, you turn up at church and you see some people and you think man you're a mess and this is church aha uh-huh, absolutely but you didn't see that person one year ago when they were dealing drugs you think they're a mess now <laughs> you should have seen them before and it's very hard to compare groups in the world to groups at church because the beautiful thing about church and it's actually the beautiful thing about jesus jesus was a friend of sinners He didn't attract the people who thought they had it all together he attracted the people who knew they didn't have it together so welcome to church so of course there's going to be friction because we're not perfect people and actually sometimes the church attracts broken people but what i say is bring it on because i thank god he welcomes broken people like you and like me so church how do we respond to this thing called church some people say I don't bother with church anymore it's full of hypocrites and you know what I would agree I'm a hypocrite but quite frankly you're also a hypocrite and yeah the church is full of hypocrites but so is the pub and so are your, your friends at university and so the world is full of hypocrites no one is perfect everyone in fact the apostle Paul even the great apostle Paul says that which I want to do I don't do Because human beings, we have convictions. We don't always live up to our convictions. Yeah, if you look at people, you're going to be discouraged. But if you look at God, you will not be disillusioned at all. Some people say, do you know what? The church, the church is a mess. I don't want anything to do with it. And they reject the church. But here's the thing you need to understand. God doesn't reject his church. God calls his church his bride, and he doesn't quit on his bride. So don't quit on the very thing that God will never quit on Don't pull down and judge the very thing that Jesus died to build up and acquit. Don't pull down that which God is building up. Don't condemn that which God justifies. Don't reject the thing that God will never reject. Love the thing that God loves. God loves the church so much he calls the church his bride. That displays how loving God is. And she's imperfect, but he ain't going to quit on her. You know, to say, and I've heard people say this, oh, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. <laughs> that would be like, imagine you husband saying to your wife, honey, I like your head, I just don't like your body. Okay, that's not going to go down very well. That's really not going to go down very well. But to say to Jesus, Jesus, I like you, I just don't like the body. That's exactly how it's going to go down. You can't separate the church from Jesus. If you love Jesus, you're going to love the church. And if you don't love the church, I really question whether you actually love Jesus. Because if you love Jesus, you will love what he loves. And he loves his church. So love his church. Love this imperfect thing. Love this hypocritical thing. Love this broken thing called the local church. And throw your weight behind it and give yourself to it. Have a high view of church. Uh, Listen to how Jesus spoke about the church when he called the apostle Paul. It says in Acts chapter 9 verse 4, Saul, Saul, Jesus said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus was saying to Saul, who was a persecutor of Christians, he's saying, why are you persecuting me? And yet Saul was persecuting the church. But here's the point. If you persecute the church, you persecute Jesus. If you hurt the church, you're hurting Jesus. Now, conversely, Listen to what Jesus said in his parable, the parable of the sheep and goats. At the final judgment, he said, it's recorded in Matthew 25, verse 40. It says, the king will say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did this for one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. And he's talking about how, see, when you cared for that person who was sick, you did it to Jesus. See, when you cared for that person who was in prison, you did it to Jesus. Jesus. When you cared for that person who was lonely or a stranger, you did it to Jesus. Jesus is saying, whatever you did to the least of them, you did it to me. In other words, here's the point. If you love the church, you love Jesus. So if you hurt the church, you're hurting Jesus. But you love the church, you're loving Jesus. That's how personally Jesus takes the way you treat the church. So see when someone's in hospital, don't wait for one of the pastors to go visit them. You visit them, you're the church. Love people. Let's let's get really radical with this. Let's love each other. Let's meet each other's needs. Let's be like that community. Even though we're not perfect, let's have a high view of this thing called the church. So it's your choice. You're either going to love it or you're going to become bitter and say, oh, they're hypocrites. But you're failing to recognise the fact that you're a hypocrite. Tear Fund in 2007 did a survey of the UK and they discovered in the survey that the the number of de-churched people to church people now de-church what they describe as de-church are people who say they've got a relationship with God but they no longer go to church the number of de-churched people to church people the ratio is two to one so for every one person in church there are two people who don't go to church anymore and that's heartbreaking and these are people who think they can do the Jesus thing without Jesus's body but that's a contradiction You can't do the Jesus thing without the church thing. That's part of the journey God has got you on. And it's hugely important. I love what Bono, who's a Christian, Bono, the lead singer of U2, he said this. Christians are very hard to tolerate. I don't know how Jesus does it. And I'm one of them. (laughs) And I would say amen to that. So am I. So we need each other. We really do. But we also needle each other. Our problem is, as human beings, we're not perfect. People say, oh, I I love Jesus, but don't like church, don't go to church. And you know what? Technically, you can be a Christian without church, technically. You can trust Jesus, you can pray that prayer, you can be baptised, and you don't go to church. Technically, you can be a Christian without church. But here's the important thing you need to hear. You can't live the Christian life without the local church because there are so many one another's in the Bible where Jesus says, love one another, be hospitable to one another, forgive one another. You can't do all that unless you're in a community of believers. And here's the point I want you to hear, that God uses that community of believers, even the rough edges that we all have, even the needling, even the, the times when you get offended by someone else, God will use that to do something in your soul. God will use that to change you and help you to become more like Jesus. You couldn't become mature in Christ if it wasn't for being in a community sometimes where you're offended by others or you give offense to someone. It's that community. You are changed in community and there's a work that God can only do in your life when you're in community. Sometimes God can do a work in your life if you're sitting like a monk in a monastery by yourself reading your Bible but God can do a great work in your life when you're in community with other believers and God is speaking to you and touching your life and impacting you through that experience. Throw yourself into a church, be part of that community. Do you know, the way I see it is if um, you've ever seen a, a tree that's been cut down you've got these beautiful rings in the tree and each ring represents a year of the tree's life and when you count the number of rings, you count the number of years the tree is old and what you see is The distance between the rings tells you a lot about that year. If the distance between the rings is bigger, it means that the the tree grew really well in that year. For example, there was lots of rain and there was lots of sunlight and it was in good soil. Or if you have a, a, a year where the rings are really close together, it didn't grow very well that year. It might have been there was a drought. It might have been different circumstances happened and it negatively affected it. And this is like our lives. Do you know, you go through your life, you look back and say, do you know what, that was the year when my marriage went through a real big difficulty. But I kept walking with Jesus. I kept connecting with church, kept loving my wife. I came through it. I kept connected to church. And then you you see, that. well, that was the year when I was really offended at church. One of the church leaders really upset me. But I didn't quit. Even though it wasn't nice, I didn't quit. That was the year where someone in church challenged me and I didn't like the challenge. And I thought, I'm out of here. But you didn't. You stayed. You you remained. That was a very tight year, that one. Really tough. But then that year there, that was the year where God broke through and three of your friends that you've been praying for for 10 years became Christians. And then the next year there, that was the year when your ministry and the thing that God had called you to went to a whole new level all of a sudden. But here's the point. You wouldn't have got to those years if you'd quitted in the earlier years and there might be years that are easier and the situations you go through But if you can just hang on in there like jesus jesus commits himself to the bride to the church doesn't quit on it if you can walk with the church stay committed to the church throw yourself into community be part of the community love each other get to know each other go through the various seasons then you will not be stinted in your growth and yes there will be some years that will be harder than others But the fruit will be long lasting and your life will bring glory to God. It's a great example, great illustration of exactly how God wants to work in our lives. So how do you keep heart in a local church? Well, like in marriage, you know, at the early stages of a marriage, people talk about that honeymoon season. Literally, you go on honeymoon. But those first couple of years, it's like you're you're still in honeymoon in your heart. The passion is there. The excitement is there. And that's the early stage of marriage. And then after the first couple of years, every married couple will tell you, you've gotta then work at the marriage. It doesn't just automatically happen. You have gotta consciously make the love and the passion stay alive, and that's good. That's what love does. Love isn't just an emotion, it's a decision. It's a conviction. And it's a beautiful and awesome thing, and it gets deeper and stronger as time passes so also was the case in the early church so let's go back to the passage we read at the beginning it says in acts 2 41 and 42 those who accepted the message were baptized and about three thousand were added to the number that day and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer here we see that the the church didn't just have a conversion experience but they had ongoing rhythms that built backbone and strength into their experience as a church. I just want to focus in on a couple of them. The first one is they devoted themselves to fellowship. Say that word, fellowship. Now, the word fellowship, obviously the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word there is koinonia. Koinonia. And koinonia literally means something you share, something shared in common. Okay, let me give you an example. Uh, Back in 2013, ABC News did a report, uh, a drug dealer's house had been raided. And when the the police raided the drug dealer's house, they found this drug dealer had, it's in America, they had these three huge trophy predator pets. Uh, They had a a lion, a Bengali tiger, and a black bear as a pet. And uh, these pets had been kept in chains and quite frankly poorly treated and in fact the bear had a shackle around its neck and as the bear had grown the shackle hadn't been loosened so it actually it had to be surgically removed because it embedded into the skin. So these animals had been used and abused and they were rescued from this horrible situation. They were taken to what was called the Noah's Ark Animal Sanctuary in Georgia and there they were initially put into separate cages or separate enclosures because the, the the zookeepers there decided that with such ferocious animals, it would be dangerous to put them in the same enclosure together. So they put them in separate enclosures. But what they discovered is they became very withdrawn, and very dejected, and very sad. So they made a decision, and it was a tough decision. They decided, Do you know what? Let's put let's try and put them back in the same enclosure together again. And as soon as they were back together, this. Bengal tiger, this lion and this black bear, <laughs> they came alive. They started playing and 12 years later, you had these, this, this wonderful scene, 12 years later, you've got these three friends, they spend their days playing with balls, cuddling each other, chasing each other around and eating cookies. And um, the zookeeper, Alison Hedgecoth said this, they live together and they don't see their differences. Now, that's a perfect example of koinonia, of fellowship. Fellowship means something shared. You see, the Bengal tiger, the lion, and the black bear had a shared experience. They had all been rescued from slavery. Now, fellowship happens when we have a shared experience. And our shared experience is this. You and I have been rescued from Satan. We've been rescued from our sin. We've been rescued through Jesus Christ. We have the ultimate shared experience experience that's fellowship now some people say this do you know what pete i've uh, church is okay but to be honest i find i've got better friendship in my football club i find i get on better with people in the football club than i do with people in the church do you know what? that's really shallow because the people in your football club and there's nothing wrong with having friends in the football club i've got friends that we go to football together with and, and all that no problem but you need to understand that what you've got in common with your mates in the football club is football What you've got in common with people at church is Jesus. You're rescued from your sins. Now, it might be the only thing you've got in common with people at church. They might be uneducated. You might have a degree. They might be unemployed. You get well paid. They might have come from a drug addiction background. You've come from a very safe, protected environment. Hey, you might be totally different in terms of your background, but who cares? You've been rescued from your sins and you've been rescued from your sins You've both got God as your father. You have the ultimate thing in common. So see people who say, do you know what, I prefer the friendship I have at football games or at that social club. And they compare that and say, that's so much better than what you experience in church. You are shallow. You are totally missing the point. I tell you what, I'm so grateful to God. I've got friends who come from different parts of the world. I've got, in fact, I have fellowship. You can have friendship with non-Christians. But you can't have fellowship with them. You can only have fellowship with people who have been rescued from their sins. I've, I have friends who, I have fellowship with people from different parts of the world. I have fellowship with people who used to be homeless and addicted to drugs. Great friends. I've got great fellowship with people who are lawyers and are high flyers. But what do we have in common? Jesus is our savior. You understand it's so much deeper than just regular friendship. Fellowship, they devoted themselves to fellowship. I want you to value fellowship, not just friendships with easy people. I'm talking about fellowship with people sometimes who are totally different to you. And then it says the next thing they did was this: they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. and this is so important. It's like the the marriage it's got the honeymoon season, the honeymoon season's past. And now you're intentionally giving yourself to something that's going to help strengthen your marriage, strengthen your marriage, strengthen your marriage for the years to come. And this is what breaking of bread and prayer does to a church. You're constantly reminding yourself as you break that bread, as you're taking the bread and the wine, you're saying, God, Jesus Christ, you shed your blood for me. You broke your body for me. That covenant is an agreement. That covenant is an eternal agreement that I'm in with you, and that I am also in with each other. It's a binding agreement. And every time you break bread, what you're doing is you're reminding yourself. And see, they said they devoted themselves to breaking of bread into prayer. In other words, this was a community who were focused on God. And you can't have this relationship with God without it having an implication on how you treat others. This vertical relationship has an impact on your horizontal relationships. You see, the perfect community exists when people Are focused on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus won't let you down. If in community you're focusing on people you'll be discouraged. If you're focusing and putting your hopes on people you're getting your security from people you're loving being around people and that's everything for you then you will be disillusioned with church. If all of us keep our eyes on Jesus then you will not be disappointed. Have very high expectations of Jesus. He won't let you down. Have slightly lower expectations of people because people sometimes will let you down. And as you navigate that journey together, and that's what the early church did, even though they needed each other, they needled each other, but they stayed together. And I tell you what, you are transformed in that kind of community. You become more like Jesus. It's more important than your enjoyment is the fact that you become more like Jesus. And that's my prayer for each of us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the early church. Jesus, thank you so much that the early church is given to us as an example of, not of some unattainable utopia where it's perfect people with no issues. But God, even after we see the beautiful beginnings of the early church, we also see the sin creeping in. We see fractions. We see imperfections. And it gives us hope, quite frankly, God. But I pray that, God, we would be a community, a community who learn to love each other no matter what, a community who learn to do not just friendship, but fellowship so much deeper, so much stronger. I pray, God, we will learn to be people who forgive each other. We will learn to be people who pray for each other. We will learn to be people who keep heart. And when things get tough, we don't just walk off, but like the rings on a tree, we get through the hard seasons, and we get on to the fruit-bearing seasons. That's my prayer for everyone joining today. Pray for anyone today, God, who has been offended at church or hurt at church, or feels like they want to quit on church. I pray they will make a decision today to not quit on the thing that you won't quit on. Help them, Lord. Just take a moment to pray. Maybe you need to make your own response to God just now. Maybe you've had a low view of church. Well, you need to repent for that. Make a choice to pray blessing on the church, love the church, honour the church, be at church, connect with church, make a fresh commitment to not just attending church, but make a fresh commitment to being the church. Maybe you just come on a Sunday, or maybe you just connect with church online, but maybe you're not part of a small group. And I understand by being part of a small group, you might be offended by people. You might be around people you don't feel comfortable with. I get it. But that's the whole point. Maybe in in God's presence, you say, make a commitment. Okay, God, I'm going to get part of a small group. I want to be transformed to become more like Jesus in a small group environment. Take a moment to pray. And while people are praying, it might be today that you're you're joining, but you haven't yet got a relationship with God. And as I said earlier, it says that the people in this story that we've read they had a transformation experience. And it came from believing the message. And I told you the message. The message is that Jesus died for you on the cross and rose again to save you from your sins. And the question right now for you is will you trust him? Will you turn from your sins and commit yourself to being a follower of Jesus? And if that's you, then this moment is for you right now. Pray this prayer with me, just one line at a time. Say, Dear Lord God, Thank you for loving me. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place on the cross. I acknowledge that I am a sinner. And I acknowledge that I needed to be saved. Today I'm asking you to forgive me and to save me from my sins. Thank you. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead. And I believe you're alive right now. I now commit myself to turning away from sin and to following Jesus for the rest of my days. Jesus, take first place in my life. Be Lord of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer and accepting me today as yours. Thank you, God. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, and I know some of you did, I know that God has heard your prayer. And right now, you are now saved. You're a child of God. Welcome to the family of God. We want to do everything we can as a church to help you grow in your faith. Get in touch with us. Let us know you prayed the prayer. And one of our team will follow up with you and help you, encourage you to take the next steps. One of the great next steps would be you need to get baptized now. That's what believers do. They get saved, then they get baptized. And that's the next step for you. We would love to organize that for you.